1: all night long and do all these different rituals and stuff to gain the spirit's favor and the spirits would tell them if you can do these things and get it all right then you'll go to heaven You'll, you'll there'll be this basket will be let down and you'll be taken up to heaven in this basket so as they listened to the word of God and as they heard what God said they started to realize that hey you know this isn't true
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax Welcome to The Story Well, today we're going to learn about the Higaonan tribal people in the Philippines who had lived for centuries enslaved to superstitions Also, they lived in fear of the spirit world and that any time anything bad happened they felt they had to make an animal sacrifice in order to appease the gods and get back on their good side This pretty much sums up how they lived for centuries year after year in bondage to superstition and sacrifices And then one day the village witch doctor had a dream that white men would come with a book. That's when Australian missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings entered into the picture. They're sharing their incredible story with Eric Scatabo.
2: I was wondering if you could kind of give us a background. What were the Higaonan people like before you arrived in the tribe?
1: Uh, the Higaonan people are a group of animist uh, tribal people. Uh, they live in north central Mindanao in the Philippines. And they had no written language, and they were fairly isolated from the outside. Up until we came into the area, there was no um, other religious influence from outside. They only had their tribal uh, religious system.
2: Now, what kind of things did they believe in their animist thinking?
1: Um, they would uh, they worship their ancestral spirits, and they also live in fear of. Um, spirits who they believe live in the rocks and trees and mountain areas of the forest so everything they do in their daily lives they would have to be on the lookout for taboos and signs on the trail and different things that would um, in their belief system if they didn't do the right thing that would cause them problems. The spirits would make them sick and possibly even kill them if they'd crossed a taboo. Uh, For instance if there was a, a dead animal on the trail and they would see this dead animal, they wouldn't be able to continue on with their journey. They'd have to go back home and wait until that was either removed through the elements or deteriorated or something before they would go uh, on that trail because they'd believe that if they went that way, they would be severely uh, cause severe sickness or something from the spirits.
2: So how did they overcome these superstitions? What did they have to do in order to get along?
1: Um, mostly they would uh, perform rituals and sacrifices to the spirits to appease them. Um, for instance, if they would uh, travel across a river and then there would someone in the family would get sick, the shaman or the witch doctor in the village would um, do certain things to determine what was the cause of that sickness. And if, it was, uh, if, if they considered that it was a, a spirit that lived in a rock in the river, where they passed through, they would then set about to appease that spirit with animal sacrifices, chickens, pigs, stuff like this. And then they would do certain rituals with the person as well to try and cause their sickness to go.
2: So this was kind of a constant cycle of if you got in problems, sickness or other types of problems, then you'd have to find out what the cause of the problem was and then try to appease the gods to make everything get better?
1: Yeah, yeah, basically. And um, often they would see very miraculous curing from that, too. They would do do the sacrifices and the things that they would lay out in their, their spirit culture. And they would often see very dramatic uh, changes in the person that was sick. People that were almost, looked as if they were almost dead would just miraculously be cured. So in their minds, there was something to this all. Oh, absolutely, yeah, no doubt about it. The, the Higonam people actually could see the spirits that they worship. They, they, um, one time when we were there studying their culture, every now and again these strange names would pop up in my study. And uh, when I asked them what was the difference, because these names seemed very different to the everyday names of people in their stories, and they just very nonchalantly said, Well, they're spirits. So there was these this, in this story, talking about different events and different interaction, they, they had these spirits
2: who were interacting with them, and they could actually uh, visualize them. Now, were they happy in this type of existence, always constantly having to appease the spirits?
1: Oh, absolutely not. They're the most miserable people we've ever seen. I, it was just um, just depressing to be around them, because they were just just absolutely totally miserable their whole life was a life of fear and they couldn't do anything they couldn't eat certain everything they ate had some kind of taboo or ritual associated with it they just couldn't eat food that they felt like eating if they ate two foods that were designated as foods that were bad to eat together they couldn't couldn't eat those foods together um, pregnant women for instance couldn't eat any, hardly any food that was good for them anything they could eat was starchy stuff um, mm. So their children were always sick. Didn't have any resistance to disease or anything. Uh, continually, the children were continually dying. They didn't. Um, out of about ten children, it was very common for four or five to have died. So they were very, mm. very, very much uh, people that were under tremendous bondage and fear.
2: Wow, uh, quite a bleak picture. Now, Michelle, let's let's kind of back up and find out what is your background. What were you involved in before you? went to the Higonin people.
3: Okay. um, Before Ron and I, I guess I'll include Ron as well because we both went out there. Ron and I both um, originally come from England Mm -hmm. and uh, I come from a Jewish background and Ron comes from a nominal Church of England background. And we emigrated to Australia in 1972 shortly after we were married. Neither of us were Christians, Mm -hmm. so we were quite atheistic in our thinking. And uh, we came out to Australia in 72 and um, our purpose for coming out actually to Australia was to make money because we were told in England that if you go to Australia, you'll make lots of money. Mm. So that was our thinking. So we came out on an immigration scheme. But uh, within a few years, the more we were getting, the more dissatisfied we came. And uh, I'm a hairdresser by trade and I was doing freelance hairdressing. And uh, during this period of time, we came across a couple that uh, who's... Uh, son and daughter-in-law had also come out to Australia, and we were introduced to them. And we went and visited them a few times, and one time we went to visit them, uh, they tried to share the gospel with us. They just recently were converted. And to, with, in our way of thinking, we were ve- very uh, antagonistic towards anything Christian, mm. and we just uh, can't really remember exactly what we did, but um, we ridiculed them basically. Mm. And uh, they invited us to come along to a Bible study which we said we would go to, but our purpose for going was to ridicule the people there. Um, If they'd invited us probably to go to a church, we wouldn't have gone. But anyway, to cut a long story short, we went along to this Bible study, and there was a missionary sharing there. And in the course of the evening, we started to hear things that we'd never heard before from the Bible. And uh, we really didn't have anything to say to him. We really didn't have anything to ridicule either. And uh, we were just dumbfounded by the things we were hearing. So we continued to go to this Bible study and within a, f- a few weeks we were both converted. And it was such a change in our lives that uh, the Lord really took hold of our hearts as far as um, wanting to uh, serve him in some way. And within a few months of going to this Bible study, a lady came from India and showed us slides of a, a tribal group in India who she told us that unless they that somebody went there with the gospel, they would never hear because they lived in such a remote uh, location and uh, it just blew us away because we just heard this wonderful uh, news of salvation. We just come to the Lord and to think that there were people in the world that would never hear the gospel unless somebody took it to them in their language just kind of blew us away. So that was uh, what the Lord used to uh, get us involved. And uh, because we didn't come from Christian backgrounds, we really didn't know anything about missions, how they worked, Um, We just committed it to the Lord and um, within a few months we were at a church camp and there was a representative of New Tribes Mission there. His name was Bill Humphreys and uh, we approached him and he told us all about New Tribes Mission, that New Tribes Mission was an organization that did that very thing. They went out to remote places Mm. around the world and um, yeah, that's basically how we got involved in mission work and we did our training with New Tribes Mission Uh, three years training and then in 1980 we ended up in the Philippines
2: you learned the language and you learned about the culture anything interesting that you learned that kind of surprised you
1: oh well we learned lots of things I think um, the thing that surprised us more than anything was the uh, the different way that the people think we're so used to thinking in our western mindset and we think that language is just learning words but it's not as a whole different way of thinking and the whole tribal way of thinking and relationships were very different. Um, For instance in in the Higonan tribe and I know in other places too when a a, a couple were married, the boy and the girl married, it's not a marriage of a boy and a girl, it's a marriage of two families
2: Hmm.
1: and their word for marriage actually means the joining of two extended families it's really the boy and the girl are just a means of accomplishing that.
2: So you learned their culture, the language and the yep. culture mixed together, and that took how long? Almost two years, yeah. So you're missionaries, but at this point, the word Jesus hasn't even been mentioned yet, is that right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't mention anything. We, um, we also couldn't do any, like we couldn't practice any of the outward forms of our, of our own faith because they would be misinterpreted, hmm. um, praying with our eyes closed, for instance. Uh, to pray with their eyes closed and let them see us doing that in the tribe would bring an interpretation. They would interpret that the wrong mm. way. Um, so we very much had to stay neutral.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings about how they came to live with and serve the Higa Onan tribal people in the Philippines. We just heard how they became Christians and then later missionaries. Next, we'll find out some of the challenges they faced when they went to live deep in the jungle. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Jimmy Colfax, you're listening to The Story. Today, missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings are sharing about how they came to live with and serve the Higa Onan tribal people deep in the jungle in the Philippines. Next, we're going to hear about the tribal people's reaction when they began to learn the Bible and that all mankind is under the bondage of sin.
2: Now, Michelle, what was the biggest challenge for you learning this language and the culture?
3: Um... I think it was just the the time frame, just the um, time it took. A hard thing was watching my three children just pick this language up without having to um, analyze it or anything like that. That was kind of hard to watch them pick it up so easy when it was so hard for us.
2: So you're in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. With three children. Yep. Learning this language, which was completely foreign. Yeah. And you did it.
3: Yeah. Um, Sounds like a snap, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, as we went out by faith, believing God was going before us, um, of course, we were totally um, looking to Him for these things. And uh, I guess what the Lord has shown us over the years that He's faithful. And uh, as we went out into the unknown, um, He went before us and just helped us in those areas.
2: Now, I just want to pause here in this story and just say... Did any of your friends think you were crazy for doing this?
1: Um, I'm sure there's lots of people that thought we were crazy. Um, I think because, yeah, we we didn't have a lot of friends in the sense of – because we hadn't been in Australia that long. Hmm. And um, all the friends that we had were people basically who we had met as Christians. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think there were, I think there was a lot of people pretty amazed that we packed up and left to go to the Philippines, but I don't think anybody thought it was really crazy in, in a sense. Mm.
2: Now, from the yeah. time that you put your faith in Jesus Christ to the time yeah. that you left for the Philippines, how long was that?
3: Uh, it was actually just uh, four years. Four wow. Years.
2: So yeah. very young Christians, yes. in a yes. sense.
1: Yeah, we, were, we went into neutralized mission just a little over a year from when we were converted. Wow. We didn't have a lot of background in anything. <coughs>
2: Just by faith. Yeah. Wow. But the Lord supplied all your needs and gave you strength, and you were able to acquire knowledge of the language and also of the culture. Then what happened next?
1: Okay, in 1983, we began a teaching program, and we made an agreement with the people that we would, it was twice a week, that we would um, have these sessions with them where we'd start teaching them from the Bible, and uh, we started to prepare our evangelistic teaching lessons, which began in Genesis. Uh, we were trained with New Tribes Mission to not just jump in and give the gospel. We were trained to lay a foundation for the gospel, making sure that the people understand who, who God is and what the Bible teaches that God is like and what the issues are in regards to sin.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the fact that all mankind is uh, under, under the bondage of sin and cannot do anything to save ourselves from it and you know, we wanted to make sure the tribal people really understood that before we actually went ahead and gave them the gospel which tells us that jesus died for us and paid for our sin completely uh, so we we spent about three months teaching this background information so that when we did present the gospel uh, it would be clear to them and actually we only got as far as the law we got as far as the ten commandments and we had the tribal people come into our house and pleading with us to tell them what what salvation was, how they could be saved from, from eternal judgment because the, by teaching them the law, by the time they got to that, they'd realized that there was no hope for them. They realized that there's nothing that they could do. And they had believed what we were, the word of God that we were teaching them. And so um, we actually went, we had to go ahead at that point and... Uh, present the Gospel to them, that Jesus was the the Lamb of God who died for their sin.
2: So why did they feel lost, that that they needed salvation?
1: Well, basically because they'd listened to what the Word of God said all the way through the Old Testament stories and what the Word of God says about their eternal condition.
2: Now, the Higaonan people said, when you were sharing the gospel with them, and this is a quote that they later wrote this down, they said, "...then we heard the story of Moses and the Creator's law, and how we could not keep it. The Creator gave us His laws, so that we could know that we are guilty of offending Him, and we understood then why we were lost." We could see so clearly the lie that the Diwata spirits had controlled us with because they always told us that it was possible to gain the Creator's favor by keeping the laws that they gave us. Now we knew that the Creator wasn't waiting for us to keep laws, but rather to believe in the way written in His book. So we pleaded with the missionaries to tell us how we can be saved from the Creator's wrath on our sin. What if we died and our sin was not dealt with? Is that basically their questions at that time?
1: Yeah, that that's that sums it up. Yeah, that about sums up what they were thinking, yeah.
2: So, as you taught them, they were starting to realize, hey, we've been trying to appease these spirits all this time, and these spirits told us that if we obeyed them, that was the way of salvation, that was the way to make it to heaven.
1: Yeah. They'd always believed that um, they have a rapture in there. Uh, in their culture where there's this basket that's let down from from heaven. Mm-hmm. They believe there's this doorway to heaven in uh, where the sun is at midday, and um, they have all these laws and rules that the spirits tell them to do, things that they tell them that they have to do, mm-hmm. and if they can fulfill those things, then they'll uh, be taken up in this basket to heaven, f- literally, physically. And um, most of their stories revolve around this whole concept of being taken physically to heaven and not dying. And um, a lot of the spirit stuff that they do, they they would go on these pilgrimages through the the forest and have all these things that they had to do, um, like they would have to sit in the river all night long and do all these different rituals and stuff. Uh, to gain the Spirit's favor. And the Spirit would tell them, if you can do these things and get it all right, then you'll go to heaven. There'll be this basket will be let down and you'll be taken up to heaven in this basket. Um, So as they listened to the word of God and as they heard what God said in his word that uh, there isn't anything that man can do to gain favor with God, they started to realize that, hey, you know, this isn't true. What the spirits have told us isn't true. We can't do anything. And they began to realize that that's why no one had been taken up in a basket too. That every time they would do that, the spirits would say to them, okay, you did this wrong or you did that wrong. So that's mm. why nothing happened. And so they, they began to see the truth of the matter, and that is that the spirits kept promising them these things, but nothing actually ever happened. They never saw anything happen. And now they were hearing from the Word of God, yes, you know there is no way that man can do anything to go to heaven because the sin has to be dealt with. And as they listened to the, God's law, they realized that, hey, no, no man could ever do that. No man could ever be that perfect. And, of course, we also taught them too that the Bible teaches that God has a way of salvation that's nothing to do with law. It's all to do with Jesus paying for our sin. And so once they saw that, then they turned to him because they'd been prepared. They'd been brought to that place where they realized they had no hope. And they were asking us to tell them, well, what is it? You now, all the th- all the way through our teaching, we'd, we'd told them that there was this promised one. There was this promised Savior that God told the Jewish nation that was going to come. And we hadn't told them who that was or how that worked. So at the point where they realized that they had no hope, they were saying, well, what is it? if there's no way that we can do anything for our salvation what is it? You keep saying that there is a a way what is that way? So we shared that with them. The fact that that way was Christ himself. It was God himself who came down and did that for us because we can't do it for ourselves. And at that point practically all of those that had listened through the teaching through the Old Testament turned away from their spirit worship and their their ancestors and their old beliefs and turned to Christ.
2: So now this is a group of people that for centuries believed in spirits and appeasing the spirits and doing things to earn salvation and in a matter of a couple of years put that aside Yeah, and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah.
1: We actually, when, when we were studying their language and culture, I remember distinctly that where our bedroom was in their house if you laid on your stomach in the bed and looked out the window, you could see down the trail where the people would travel. And um, most nights the, the men were drunk and uh, they come back up the trail from their drunken binges and uh, be shouting at the top of their lungs and singing and doing all this stuff. And we realised how strong their, their culture was. We'd been to their spirit services, we'd been to these uh spirit festivals that they used to have and see the sacrifices and been involved with you know learning about what they were doing and we just said if as we looked out this window at night and hear these guys coming back from their drunken things that they had uh and realize how, how deeply they were captivated in this whole thing this whole cycle that they were in um we said this would be a miracle if if a one of these people get saved. Mm. If one of these people would turn to Christ it would be an absolute miracle. but when it happened it was the majority of
2: them <laughs>
0: That was Eric Scatabo chatting with missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings about their story and also about the Higaonan tribal people in the Philippines, who had lived for centuries enslaved to superstitions and in fear of the spirit world. Next time, we'll hear more of the story and how the Lord used Ron and Michelle, along with other missionaries, to help set the Higaonan people free from bondage. It reminds me of when Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We'll find out the rest of the story next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
3: One of the things that we saw change was the very fact that people started to bring us things instead of wanting to take from us all the time. I remember one guy, very specifically, um, a few weeks after he professed that he'd um, trusted Christ, he brought us a basket and it had fruit in it. And the first thing I said to him was, how much do you want for it? And he said, no, he said, this is for you.
0: Once again, we'll learn about the Higa Onan tribal people in the Philippines who had lived for centuries enslaved to superstitions and in fear of the spirit world. Missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings will share how the Lord used them, along with other missionaries, to help set the Higa Onan people free. That's coming up next time. The story. story. Just another way
3: vision is connecting faith to life.